The life of General Belisarius. Belisarius returns to Italy in 544 AD. The news that Belisarius was at hand greatly alarmed the Gothic monarch Tortilla, who well knew his talents and was ignorant of the smallness of his force on this occasion. To ascertain the real fact, Tortilla had recourse to an ingenious stratagem. He forged a letter purporting to come from the Roman governor of Genoa and dispatched it to the camp at Pola by some trusty messengers who, who, who were enjoined to observe as narrowly as possible the strength and numbers of the enemy. These spies were received by Belisarius without suspicion. They were desired to assure the Genoese of speedy help, and having found full opportunity for executing the secret object of their mission, they hastened to inform their sovereign that the Byzantine troops were few. They found the king engaged in the siege of Tivoli, which was soon afterwards betrayed to him by its inhabitants. Tertilla was desirous of intimidating Rome by striking example of vigor in its neighborhoods and accordingly put every citizen of Tivoli to the sword. Under the circumstances of such barbarity that Procopius forbears to detail them, lest he should furnish a mischievous example to succeeding ages. His testimony to these cruelties is more unimpeachable, since on the other occasions he loudly extols the character of Totilla, and endeavors by its virtues to excuse the defeats or the heighten the achievements of his countrymen. Meanwhile, Belisarius, having arrived at Ravenna immediately after landing, addressed both the Romans and the Goths in a public harangue. The dominion, he said, of the emperor in Italy has been endangered by the guilt and imbecility of his lieutenants. Anxious to render these provinces tranquil and contented as before, he has postponed his projects of conquest against Persia and has sent me to redress your wrongs. Let it be your part to assist the execution of his generous designs. Let those among you who have friends or kinsmen amongst the rebellious troops of Totilla forthwith recall them from their guilt cause by announcing to them that the imperial promises and pardon. Spare me, I beseech you, the painful duty of entering the field against fellow countrymen, misled by their ignorance. End of quote. These and many other similar exhortations proved wholly unavailing. Not a single soldier was lured away from the Gothic ranks, and Belisarius soon perceived that he could trust only his own resources for success. He was now not far distant from the Gothic army, for the king, after the reduction of Tivoli, had crossed the Apennine and undertaken the siege of Osimo. It was the first object of Belisarius to relieve this important city. One of his outposts surprised a barbarian squadron near Bologna. Another of a thousand men succeeded in reaching Osimo, but it was worsted in a sally and either from panic or mistaken policy again left the city and was driven back with losses to Rimini. Disappointed in this quarter, Belisarius next planned a bold attempt upon Pissarro, which he considered to be advantageously placed for grazing and forage, and therefore a station useful for his cavalry. When Totilla had taken that city after the Battle of Faza, he had, according to his usual system, torn away the gates and the lower walls, hoping thus effectually to prevent the enemy from defending them again. But Belisarius dispatched some trusty emissaries to take, by night, the exact measure of the open intervals, and according to their report, strong iron barricades of necessary size and number were constructed at Ravenna, and forwarded in boats to Romini. 
By order of the general, some troops, with Thoramanth as their leader, now threw themselves into Pissarro, and having fixed the new bulwarks brought with them in place of gates, unremittingly labored with the citizens to repair the ruined walls. The Gothic king, at the news of this singular enterprise, hastened with his army to hinder its completion, but the rising fortifications were already capable of withstanding an attack and after a long and obstinate blockade, he found it necessary to abandon his undertaking and return to his camp before Osimo. This capital of Picenum surrendered to him in the course of the winter of A.D. 545. Early in the ensuing campaign, he again took the field, reduced Axcol and Fermo, and finding the Byzantine forces altogether unable to oppose him, meditated to no less a project than the siege of Rome. Accordingly, he began his march through Tuscany, pausing in his progress to invest Assisi, Perugia, and Spoleto. The former city was defended by Sigrid, a goth of imperial service whose fidelity disdained the offers and whose valor repulsed the assaults of Tortilla. Nor was it till his intrepid barbarian had fallen that his terrified garrison consented to surrender. His example may be contrasted with that of Herodian, the governor of Spoleto, far less devoted to his natural than Siegfried to his adopted country, and who, fearing the punishments of his previous rapine and malversion, gladly availed himself of the opportunity to, dis- to escape the justice of Belisarius by yielding to the arms of Tortilla. At Perugia, the governor Cyprian turned a deaf ear to all offers of the Gothic king, who hereupon contrived the assassination of that stubborn and troublesome loyalist. This expedient proved as useless as it was infamous, the garrison persevered in its resistance after the death of its chief, and Totilla, impatient of further delay, raised the siege and pursued his march along the Tiber River. To the fortresses thus attacked by the barbarians, Belisarius found it impossible to afford the slightest aid. As a last resort, he dispatched John the Sanguinary with a letter to Justinian in which his forlorn situation is described with the natural eloquence of truth. Quote, Great Prince, I have arrived in Italy unprovided with men or money, with horses or arms, nor can any spirit bear up against such disadvantages as these. In my progress through Thrace and Illyria, I collected by great exhortations a handful of raw and undisciplined recruits whom I can hardly furnish with weapons and whom I find unfit for almost every purpose of war. The troops already stationed in Italy are deficient both in numbers and in courage. Their minds have been debased and enslaved by their frequent defeats, and no sooner do the barbarians approach than they relinquish their horses and cast their arms to the ground. To raise any taxes is impractical, since the provinces are in possession of the enemy, and the long arrears of pay for our soldiers vainly claim loosens every tie of discipline and duty. A debtor is but ill able to command, but assured, my sovereign, that the best part of your army has already gone over to the Goths. Were it sufficient for, for success that Belisarius should appear in Italy, your aim would be accomplished. I am now in the midst of the Italians, but if you desire to conquer, far greater preparations must be made, and the title of general dwindles to a shadow, where there is no army to uphold it. My own personal guards and veteran soldiers should, in the first place, be permitted to rejoin me, and it is only by full and ready payments that you can secure the useful service of the Huns and other barbarian mercenaries. End of quote. Well, before the departure of John of Sanguinary with his letter, he had bound himself to the most solemn oaths to execute his commission with zeal and return with promptitude. Yet on his arrival at Constantinople, he neglected the public interest, 
prolonged his stay for an advantageous marriage to the grandniece of the emperor. Much precious time was lost, and Belisarius, finding his presence at Ravenna grown fruitless since the scene of action had been transferred beneath the walls of Rome, resolved to meet the expected reinforcements and afterwards lead them to relief of the capital. Leaving, therefore, merely a necessary garrison at Ravenna, he sailed with his remaining troops to Dracinum on the coast of Epirus, where he impatiently awaited the lingering supplies, and in repeated letters labored with more zeal than success to awaken the attention and ob obtain the, ac the active interference of the emperor. After a long period of delay, John the Sanguinary and some other chiefs gradually brought up troops collected from different quarters of the empire, while the eunuch Narsus, who had proceeded on a mission to the Heruli, sent some mercenaries from among that warlike people. But the slowness and the languor of these preparations left Totila at full leisure to accomplish his designs in behalf of the western capital. Belisarius at first could only dispatch to Porto a body of a thousand men headed by Valentine and Phocius. So things have not gotten any better. He has no troops. He's waiting for his people to send him some more. So we'll see what happens. Sources for this, Wars of Justinian by Procopius, Short History of Byzantium by Norwich, Byzantine Art of War by Decker, Byzantine Armies, 324 to 1453 by Turnbull and the life of Belisarius by Mahome. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.